0: So, especially in an environment where you have not only uh, people of diverse backgrounds, but international, you throw international on top of it, it's extremely important. And um, because whether you are smart and capable, skilled, competent at your job, uh, even if you're the best at your job, if you can't get things done in that particular environment, it doesn't matter.
1: Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand Me Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Tammy Nam, who is the CEO of PixArt, the Sequoia-backed creative platform with over 100 million monthly active users. A lifetime tech and media industry veteran, Tammy oversees nearly all areas of Pixar's business and operations, including its offices in the U.S. and China. Prior to Pixar, Tammy was the COO of global streaming service Viki, which was acquired by Rakuten in 2014. She was also an executive and marketing leader at innovative consumer tech companies, including Scrubbed, the number one e-reading subscription service, and Slide the social entertainment company, which was founded by none other than Max Levchin, who is was one of the co-founders of PayPal. Tammy has more than 20 years of experience working with consumer web and mobile brands, including Visa and Starbucks, to grow leadership positions and identify new opportunities. She was named one of the top 25 women to watch in tech by Always On. And after hearing this episode, you'll see just why we break down what it takes to actually grow a consumer brand, especially a tech and more specifically an app. We also talk about the importance of a brand and telling an awesome story. This was a truly great episode and I learned so much from Tammy and I hope you guys will too. All right, let's get into the action. So, Tammy, thank you so much for coming on the show today.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: So, Tammy, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself to people?
0: Uh, Well, I guess it depends on who I'm talking to. I would just introduce myself as Tammy Nam. Um, But if it's an industry setting, I would say I'm um, the COO and CMO of
1: PixArt. 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 Or more more recently, I guess that would be your your uh, introduction.
0: Yeah, more recently.
1: Cool. So before we get into, I guess, the work that you're doing at Pixar and the, I guess, the the role they brought you in to do and to execute on, I'd like to talk a little bit about, I guess, early life. So you initially studied like journalism at Northwestern University, which is actually quite well known for producing some of the greatest reporters and journalists, right? So was that the route that you wanted to go down initially?
0: Yeah, I actually uh, had the intent of being a writer. I wanted to be some kind of writer. Initially, I was thinking I want to write books, uh, fiction, etc. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to go down the path of becoming a journalist because that's sort of more of a a practical application of my um, interest in writing. Little did I know that when I got into it, even back then, and when I graduated in 1995, um, the news business even back then was uh, experiencing a significant downturn. So the writing was on the wall even back then, especially in the area that I was focusing on, which was print journalism and wow. newspapers. Wow! So it was clear very quickly that there was not going to be much of a future in that. So I decided to move back to California and San Francisco and I fell into the tech industry. Luckily, at a time when it was just, I think really starting to take off um, mm. on the consumer side, there was a lot of core tech innovation prior to that, but the consumer tech was starting to take off and I loved it right away. It was uh, very smart, very innovative, uh, very challenging. Um, so that's that's sort of how I uh, transitioned from the journalism world to to tech and startups.
1: Right. But before you got into, I guess becoming quite you know a veteran within the marketing space, you didn't initially start off doing marketing, did you?
0: Um, no, I didn't. But what I realized, though, is that uh, what I realized very quickly is that a lot of the experiences in journalism are very applicable to marketing uh, well not only marketing but in in business in general and in life which is at the core it's about storytelling yeah so how can you tell your story in a way to your audience that's going to resonate and that's going to take whatever action you want them to take whether it's you know buying something or changing a behavior or changing your perception anything at the core it's uh, it's about storytelling
1: yeah no that I, t- I totally agree and we actually had someone on last week, Gaston, who was at Google for a number of years, and he literally spoke about the same thing. It's all about telling the story. And we're going to get into, right. I guess, that as well. So then you get into tech, you start doing um, various roles, and then when did you know that marketing was the thing?
0: I think um, I knew right away, but you know what, marketing the role of marketing has evolved quite a bit since I started in tech and startups, which was around 1995. Uh, Back then, because the industry was just really starting to evolve and move into more of this consumer space, uh, was still, it it is today, still dominated by, I would say, engineers and people with more of a um, engineering kind of product-focused background. But back then, marketing really was, like almost like a four-letter word within startups, so there wasn't a lot of perception of value of marketing mm. um, then, and at, versus today, where because the industry has matured quite a bit, you you have to figure out ways to stand out from your competitors from just all the noise out there. So marketing is critically important. Back then, though, I think. Uh, it, the, the, the industry was just trying to figure out what is marketing. So it was, it was very different. Um, but regardless, it was a challenge. And um, I knew that whether it was marketing or eventually whether it was operations, I knew that I wanted to stay in tech yeah. uh, and in Silicon Valley in general just because of how smart everyone is and how fast moving and how um, dynamic the whole space is.
1: Yeah. So talk to me about your time at... Um... Principia, am I saying that right? Principia Group?
0: Uh, Yeah, I actually started Principia Group um, uh, right around the time that there was a tech downturn. I think it was uh, 1999, something along the, the, uh, 1999, 2000. um, There was a so I had just decided uh, to um, weather the downturn and do my own thing. Um, so I was uh, started a company that was uh, marketing consulting mm. as well as business consulting. So worked with uh, primarily consumer mobile companies at the time to help them figure out their market positions, um, their stories, their marketing strategy, their partnership strategy. Um, so that I did that for four years and it was, um, extremely helpful because that was around the time that, um, I had two kids. Mm. And so it gave me a lot more flexibility.
1: Of course. And so that was basically your first startup, right? Your, your own one, I guess. Would you consider that a startup as a consultancy?
0: Um, yeah, probably. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, yeah, it, It was my first startup, but I consider so many of the companies that I've, um, work for both on the consulting side as well as on the um, inside um, in-house startups you know uh, even I even though I may not have technically started the company it was very much uh, entrepreneurial in spirit
1: Mm. and during that time of starting Principa how what were some of the challenges that you faced as I guess during that time you know and I do want to talk about kind of being a woman in tech during that time, but I guess even just going in on your own, you know, how was that?
0: Um, it's there's always challenges when you're starting something from scratch. So you have to think about everything uh, from the beginning. Uh, what am I? What company am I trying to build? Uh, who, who is my target audience? How do i package the product or service in a way that will resonate um how do you manage the business from a financial perspective so that you can not only uh pay yourself but pay other people who work for you mm. um how do you sustain that model um you know how do you develop that kind of that word of mouth engine um or are there other marketing tactics it just it's it's everything so yes i mean i i It's very much of a startup in that respect that you have to start from scratch and you have to look at everything from a holistic point of view.
1: So then, when you went from doing your consultancy, you were kind of like, okay, I think I'm ready to go and get, you know, go somewhere else now. And is that how you partnered with um, Slide?
0: Um, yeah, so I was coming out of uh, wrapping up Principia and I was introduced to Slide and Max Um uh, Max Levchin, who's the co-founder of PayPal Perfect, yeah. uh, back then and uh, went back, wanted to go back in-house. And um, I really love Slide because, not only because of Max Levchin, who's incredibly dynamic and he's just such a smart guy. Um, and so, you know, already had a, um, a reputation, even you know before he started slide,
1: yeah, um,
0: so it was a really great opportunity to get back in and working for someone like Max
1: I mean yeah Mark, Max, I think he just everything he starts he sells to Google, I feel um, <laughs> <laughs> he I mean he sold so many companies, it's bizarre, um, yeah. but uh, yeah, no, that must have been an incredible kind of opportunity to work with someone of Max's pedigree, so what was kind of the first thing? you done when you joined as marketing director there?
0: Um, The first thing, hmm, I think it really goes back to that market positioning and that story. What are you trying to tell uh, the market and who are you trying to uh, influence? Uh, So, so much of the marketing, communications, PR functions um, are about helping companies figure that piece out because even though you have so many smart people all in one place um a lot of them are so product focused and so feature focused and so focused on uh, beating the competition or whatever else kind of testosterone driven kind of objective there is yeah um they kind of forget that at the core you really have to figure out i mean what kind of company are you and uh what are you trying to uh to do and what 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 kind of market is there so a lot of that i think is applies to any company and it definitely did apply to slide it was you know taking a step back and trying to figure out what that is and uh, at that particular time there was a lot of new things that were going on like myspace was really hot and uh, facebook was starting to really gain momentum And Facebook had started uh, and opened up their platform similar to what MySpace had done at the time uh, to let third party developers develop on their platform. Mm. So it was the first slide was the first company that participated in the um, Facebook F8 conference um, as one of the key developers. And Max was on stage talking about uh, the apps that we developed for Facebook. So it was it was a completely different time. And. Uh, I think at that time we had positioned the company as social entertainment. Yeah. Um, so everything was sort of new.
1: Yeah. I mean, they grew, I mean, the Slide grew to just over 150 million. Is that correct? Yeah. Was there anything in particular during that time you were there that you saw kind of like move the needle significantly? I mean, with social apps or social products, you know, it usually is some kind of, I guess, some viral coefficient or something that just takes it off. Do you know what that was for Slide?
0: I think it, it was, that, uh, it was the, the power of the platform and power of the social platform in particular that was very clear at that time. And it was only, I think, I would say it was very early stages of that happening. And we see, it's very common today but uh, it was very early on back then, and uh, just the um, the potential for that um, that digital word of mouth, um, you know, friends telling friends and uh, taking you know certain little mini actions and having uh, your product get discovered uh, from there. So it it went it spread extremely quickly um, these apps on the Facebook platform back in the day, but. The, uh, the downside of that is when you are reliant on other platforms, they can also, um, you know, if they change their business model or decide not to allow third parties or, or something, then there's a downside to that because, you know, suddenly if you're too reliant on that, it could uh, completely um, have a negative impact on your business overnight.
1: Yeah. And we see that. We see Facebook being responsible for that every other day. <laughs> exactly i mean they exactly. just change the ca- algorithm and publishers are dead um yeah. it's, it's horrible so i guess so slide do you feel like S- slide managed to miss that by not being dependent or was there still an element of dependency on any one platform
0: i think it was too dependent and um ultimately i think the the outcome was uh, less than what um uh, less than what we had expected um, at the time and definitely from the beginning. Um, But again, it was very early stages of this social media um, apps growth. And uh, we just, I mean, no one knew what was going to happen. Mm. Um, So yeah, I do think it was uh, too dependent at the time.
1: And was there focus on revenue at the company or was it more...
0: No, it was really it was really focused on growth. Um, a lot of companies these days are still focused on growth, but I think because there is so much more, I guess critical mass of companies that have been there and done that, and other entrepreneurs that uh, teach new entrepreneurs uh, best practices, uh, they can avoid some of the common pitfalls. But um, but yeah, I would I would say it's uh, you know it it definitely has its challenges.
1: Yeah, for sure. And so then when Slide was acquired by Google, you went off and um, joined Scribd. Yeah. What did Scribd mm-hmm. do?
0: When I joined, Scribd was a document upload and sharing site. So you would upload your college thesis or um, an essay that you wanted to write. And it was uh, uh, shared, and there was a community of people who, who wanted to share and download and, and write their own. Uh, it was very innovative at the time because the the technology didn't really exist to upload, I guess, uh, primarily PDF content uh, at the time and other Word documents and have it be discovered and shareable in a massive kind of way. But because the, the technology was so good, both on the SEO side as well as the HTML5 side, and that was also early days of HTML5, mm. um, Script was able to amass an audience of more than 90 million MAUs uh, fairly quickly. Wow! Um, the company has since pivoted to becoming more of a um, an e-reader. Um, so it was starting that process when I was there. Um, so sorry, not an e-reader. Uh, it's more of a, an e-reading app. So you can read e-books, um, you can listen to audiobooks, you can uh, read documents, and also upload and share documents. Uh, news magazines, it's basically just a um, digital reading
1: app hmm. So it's like a, a Kindle
0: <laughs> It's it's like a Kindle, but without the device and you can right. read on pretty much um, I think pretty much any any device But uh, it's more of uh, the content um, Versus the um, hardware
1: Right and so with Scribd You said SEO played a, a big role in terms of how they acquired users was there anything that you brought over from slide to script? Um, obviously, you know, up until this point, you've had so much exposure to consumer products from a marketing perspective. I mean, I mean, when when you come into this organization, I guess what was the one thing that you said? Okay, we need to change, or we need to start doing X. Is it? Can you remember anything that that you can think that moved the needle?
0: Uh, hmm. Um, one thing is I have really bad memory. <laughs> so, uh, I, I try and what was the, I don't, I, I don't know. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head on that one. Um, frankly, I think the, what have I, um, Biggest learning is always not only going from you know one company to another, but just having just maturing more in general in the industry and working with dozens of startup founders is learning how to work with different founders um, honestly in a way that is effective, um, and I think that's that's one of the hidden. Kind of requirements and uh, talents that are required to be successful um, mm. in a startup is um, how do you navigate the um, uh, the different personalities and and working with different founders? Yeah, in a way that you know gets gets the job done.
1: Yeah, that's so interesting. So you think that's? I mean, yeah, it makes a lot of sense in terms of each founder has its have their own kind of narcissistic way <laughs> if you will of doing certain things and they have this kind of belief so it's all about adapting to them do you find that that can be difficult at times because you you come in with your own kind of I guess formula and approach to certain things do you find there's a lot of friction sometimes with some of the things you want to bring into organization
0: um yes definitely I mean when I first met Tri Badler the founder of Scribs, he was 22 years old So, um, and I was already, mm, I don't know, I want to say 40. Um, so I had, had a lot of professional experience and trip had none. So that's, that's also not uncommon. Uh, so you not only have a lot of uh, professional experience in the, the job function that you were hired to, to oversee, but you also have just a lot more life experience in general. So you find that Um, A lot of your job is not only the job of uh, marketing or operations or whatever it is, but it's also um, handholding the CEO in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. teaching uh, them about um, just things that have maybe nothing to do with the job itself. So, for instance, um, I remember in the early days of Scribd, I took trip shopping. And we went to Saks, and I helped him pick out a outfit that was much better suited for him. And he, you know, formally was, you know, prior to that, he was dressing very sloppily. and
1: he just, <laughs>
0: Like, he's, he's a good looking guy. And I'm like, Trip, uh, okay, we need to do better than this. You're a spokesperson, you're great, and you're going to be out there. And you need to kind of look the part. So that is, I, I feel like it was kind of a big turning point for him in a lot of ways. So, yeah, that's the. those are the other things that you wind up doing in a startup, especially with very young founders that are kind of unexpected.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it, that's definitely not in the CMO uh, job description, is it?
0: <laughs> no.
1: That's so funny. And but so,
0: you do what you got to
1: do. You do what you got to do, no. Yeah. And then, so obviously then you moved into uh Is it Vicky? Am I pronouncing it right? Yes. Vicky. So Vicky, another kind of consumer-facing product with millions of users. Um, How did that role come about?
0: That was also an introduction from an advisor company at Vicky at the time. Um, And Rosnig, the founder of Vicky, he wanted to... uh, He needed a a, a COO, CMO to help him uh, just... Partner with him to operate the business and um, take over the definitely the marketing function, the community development function, because Vicky is a video streaming company, sort of like a, a global version of a Hulu. Yeah. Uh, so international, you know, streaming content, uh, but the, their model is having their community of viewers that. Um, that subtitled the content in dozens of languages, so that you can kind of like spread spread the availability and access of the content, you know, worldwide. So, um, yeah. So, I, I was very intrigued by Vicky because of the international footprint and because it was video. Mm. Um, <clears throat> and at that time, video was uh, really starting to take off in kind of different ways. Um, and this was kind of a unique way to. Um, to approach uh, video on form, uh, professionally produced, but there was a lot of other uh, video types on the site too. So yeah, that's that's why I was kind of drawn to Vicky. To
1: yeah, no, that's good. And as a CMO and a COO, I mean, those are two very big roles. How did you yeah. find the balance between the two?
0: I think in a startup, um, it's it just par for the course that you do, you wear multiple different hats. That's what founders do all the time. They yeah. wear um, many, many hats. And at various stages of the company, you focus on different aspects of the business. So I was very much used to that. Um, and one success in one area leads to success in another area. And I would say that if the company is not operating properly, if the company is not communicating and executing properly, then nothing else matters. So if you are in charge of the marketing function, if the other things are not, you know, in place, then, then it, it really doesn't matter what you do. So uh, in reality, it was actually really good that um, both at, um, at Biggie and at, at uh, Pixar now, um, I oversee both functions. So because I have more direct control over um, fixing things, uh, for Mm. lack of a better word, to to work better.
1: No, no, I I totally see. And um, obviously you led the company to acquisition. And I think, you know, at that time, was that the best solution at the time? Was that the best, um, I guess, avenue to take the company down?
0: Um, you know, I think the, the Vicky was acquired by Rakuten, which is a um um e-commerce giant in Japan. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people don't know that Rakuten has owns dozens of independently owned subsidiaries around the world and uh that's in multiple different businesses. Uh one of the core areas of focus for Rakuten at the time was in content. Mm-hmm. So, um and and uh so Vicky was kind of an interesting part of their strategy to help make content go global. Um, and I think because Vicky was such an international company and so much of the content was from Asia, there was a, and, and also uh, Rosmig as a, uh, not a typical, I guess, stereotypical uh, American founder, he's very international minded. The team was very international. So I think the culture fit with Rakuten at the time was really good and it made a lot of sense. So as, as in anything, whether you are hiring for uh, an employee or an executive or considering a, an acquisition or M&A, culture fit matters so much and that determines um, everything in, in some cases. So uh, culture fit for, for me and for Rosme the founder at the time, was, uh, was a big consideration.
1: Interesting. Sometimes I... Um... I don't know i don't know if i like the term culture fit i mean obviously now you know diversity in tech is such a huge debate that's being had and it's about time do you find that culture fit can sometimes i guess with your experience as well as being a non-white male um <laughs> non not even a non-white full stop as, as a woman do you do you find that culture fit can sometimes hinder or stand in the way of hiring great people And and, and who determines what the culture is?
0: Yeah, that's true. So I think that um, at the end of the day, probably it it trickles from the top down. So you're the founder, CEO, executive team, it trickles down from there. So there is a basis of a culture at any company, no matter how big or small you are. Uh, But I do think it is extremely important. And the reason why I think it's even more important now than I did back then is because I have experience with two companies in a row that were started by non-American founders. Um, And interestingly, they're both Armenian, ethnically Armenian founders. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I somehow seem to be developing this expertise of working with Armenian founders, but um, (laughs) anyway. um, So especially in an environment where you have not only people of diverse backgrounds, but international, you throw international on top of it, it's extremely important. And uh, because whether you are smart and capable, skilled, competent at your job, uh, even if you're the best at your job, if you can't get things done in that particular environment, it doesn't matter.
1: No, that's no. why culture fit is so important. Yeah, no, no that's so that's true. I, I want to switch gears a little bit now, uh, Tammy, and, and talk a bit more in a general sense in terms of startups. So you have a number of years working in consumer-facing products. So is there a formula or is there kind of like, I guess, key or core competencies um, or core attributions, if you will, that go into creating a viral social product? And if they are, what are they?
0: Um, I think at the core um, is if you have a great product market fit, um, then the rest is relatively easy. Um, One of the reasons why I was particularly interested in Pixar is because Pixar has grown to more than 100 million um, users uh, monthly, organically, purely organically, Um, and what that means is essentially there's a great product market fit. It means that there are users who really like and value the service at fundamentally. Yeah. Um, and surprisingly, or maybe not surprisingly, because you've been around and have seen uh, the evolution of, of different startups, that, that it's actually not very common, especially at the scale when you get to you know 100 million plus at that scale it's, it's not it's it's uncommon yeah so i think at the core if you do have a great product market fit that's a really really great starting point um that also gives you probably what a lot of companies envy which is that viral distribution that viral potential yeah uh so if, if you can take that really great product that people love and figure out you know what is that um so um, that just kind of like leads to the the viral word of mouth because if someone likes a product, then they will tell their friends um, offline. And these days, it's amplified online because of so- social media. So there's that. And then, uh, but because the cycles of business are so short these days uh, that you have to sort of, uh, in order to be competitive, you have to grow and compete in a matter of years rather than decades where it used to be decades Mm. you know you build a company over decades and now it's you have to prove yourself and you have to be sustainable over years and in some cases even months if you're looking at china for example um so it's and then it's figuring out on top of that what is that growth engine viral is great but can you sustain yourself on that viral growth Mm. it's does paid user acquisition make sense does uh influencer marketing makes sense does uh, you know uh, strategic partnerships so it's it's evaluating what makes sense for your particular phase of growth and uh, and for your particular product at that at that moment
1: No yeah I, I I totally agree with that and with regards to pixar growing to 100 million which is an insane number organically what does organically mean in this case because i've heard some founders say things were organic and then it turns out they you know invested heavily in a really good seo team so the company grew organically but ultimately it was seo Um, and some people can't do that or some people don't know to do that so was organic is organic in this situation we put something out and people loved it
0: i would say organic is non-paid so whatever it is that you're doing with the product, whether it's just the core product itself, or I wouldn't even include SEO in there. I mean, every company these days, I mean, you have to be SEO, that's that's SEO, ASO, It's that's pretty basic. Yeah. Um, but I would say it's, it's non-paid, meaning, I mean, in the case of Pixar, it grew, um, I would say in large part because um, the product itself is... Uh, exists in a moment of time that is—it's is a great timing, first of all, and secondly, it's a really um, great innovative product, and it's um, obviously serving a market need. But with regard to the timing part, I would say, I mean, increasingly, millennials, Gen Z, they are communicating very visually. Uh, so the the future of communication—well, actually, the origin of communication—it's visual. Um, so it's kind of, you know, coming back to that. I mean, I have a 14 and 15 year old kids and they communicate by photos and stickers and memes and, and videos. Um, they're, they're very rarely typing words. Yeah. Um, so this, this is, so Pixar is sort of at the center of all of that happening. I mean, it's it's another reason why obviously Instagram is uh, huge and, and growing very quickly right now. It's it's just this this visual medium.
1: Yeah, no, I I totally agree, and I and I see, you know, I think video has has moved that a bit forward as well, and we're going to be moving away, I guess, from images soon to more videos and gifts yeah. and and short clips. Mm-hmm. And so, I guess for startups as well in in the early days, I guess other than finding product market fit, which is obviously extremely important, once you found product market fit, are there any kind of core principles again that can be applied to a consumer facing product? Um,
0: core principles. Can you give me a? Can you give me an example
1: or? So. I don't know. Let's. Uh, Let's think of a, a tech startup. There, it's another consumer-facing app. Um, you know, there's a subscription model built into that. They sell. Let's use my app for example. So, a men's focus weight loss app, right? Other than creating a good product and a great product, are there any kind of standard or mandatory steps that one should take when approaching marketing?
0: Um. I think marketing is one of those things that's a, um, it's, it's a black hole. Uh, you can put so much into it and you would still never be done. Uh, so I think, especially in, an, in a startup environment, you have to think about what are the marketing levers that are going to give you the highest return um, in, in a short period of time and and also at that particular moment. So something might be appropriate early on that might not be appropriate later or or vice versa. So, for example, it was appropriate that Pixar really focused on that viral growth, whether that is uh, developing or building maybe social features into the the core product itself, the sharing features um, or something else. It would not have been appropriate for the company to have poured millions of dollars into paid marketing early on. It is appropriate for the company to look at it right now. So it really depends on, I would say, primarily the stage of the company mm. um, and looking at all the different levers. But you know, I mean, just pick picking here and there what, what's appropriate when. Um, you don't want to run out of money. You don't want to. Uh, uh, you really want to look at that return on investment. Um, and there are the different things that are going to be more valuable uh, when you're, you know, 10 people versus. 100 people versus 500.
1: Absolutely. And I guess obviously you you kind of advise a number of startups. Have you seen any kind of common pitfalls that startups seem to fall into?
0: I think um, one of the common pitfalls is, um, I would say, especially in tech and product-driven companies, that they don't involve marketing enough or early enough. Um, and, and I see that a lot. Um, it sort of goes back to the, the, I guess the ethos of Silicon Valley, just being so tech and engineering driven, um, that they're constantly thinking of marketing as growth hacking, Mm. um, and growth hacking is what's really going to move the needle. But at the end of the day, because, because consumer tech is so much more mature now, uh, brand matters, uh, positioning matters, um, tone matters, um, and Apple is a really great example of of that. You know, in in tech, having evolved with that always in mind, with the user experience always in mind, with every little touch point being very purposeful and thoughtful. Um, so I think that. Increasingly, you will see companies that um, take that approach, uh, that holistic approach in incorporating marketing very, you know, smartly uh, throughout the process will be uh, more successful over time.
1: Yeah, no, that, that, that makes a, a lot of sense. And, and I wanted to ask, um, I wanted to go back to, you know, again, like I mentioned earlier, being a woman in tech um and obviously like with diversity being at the helm of many conversations right now what advice do you have for women in the room that tend to sometimes be the only women in the room
0: um the good thing about being a woman in tech in general i would say um i is that uh the tech industry tends to be very results driven and results oriented so if you can prove yourself to be very capable and skilled and um, valuable uh, in, in a company, then uh, it, it uh, doesn't matter for the most part. Um, so that's, that's what's, what's great. And because you know, it's an industry that's relatively young and there's, it's, um, uh, there's a talent shortage, especially for very specific types of talent. So that's, that's really all great for women. Uh, the other thing that has been great for women, and it's been my experience also is working with young entrepreneurs. And even though, you know, you know, I talked earlier about some of the challenges that go along with that, um, they don't have preconceived notions already about what it is to work with women or they're just, you know, younger generationally. So they just are not as, um, I guess stodgy kind of in Mm. their approach. So that's, that's, that's great. Um, as far as what I've seen, um, I've, I've mentored dozens of, of people, young people, and mostly women over the last 25 years. And one of the things that I have noticed about women that they tend to do more than men, for example, is that they are more likely to run away. Um, so they, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, they're more likely <laughs> to run away in the face of of uh, challenge. So they will say, you know, I, I, I don't I don't want to deal with this, and I'm going to move on, or I'm I'm moving on. Um, and you know, oftentimes that happens, and I even did this early in my career. Oftentimes that happens in the face of uh, confronting or working with uh, men in particular who are really from their perspective, they're aggro, they're aggressive, they are, uh, you know, it's a style that I think a lot of women are not used to um, Mm. addressing head on. So they have a tendency more so to, yeah, like I said, sort of run away instead of addressing head on, fighting, arguing, rolling up their sleeves, getting in there. So that's one of the things that I do often counsel women is, no, don't run away, just stay and fight and make your argument. And it is not personal, and the guy, you know, who's uh, sitting across the table from you, it's not personal for him. Don't make it personal for you.
1: That's, that's actually very good advice. Uh, so women, stop running away, basically. That's what I took from that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, No, that's good. I wanna to work towards uh, wrapping up now, Tammy, and ask a few rapid-fire questions that I ask all guests that come on the show. So what has been, or who has been your biggest inspiration to date?
0: Um, in general or in, in the startup in, space?
1: We can go in the startup space. Let's keep it.
0: Specific. Okay. You know, one of the entrepreneurs that I think is so great and he's extremely well respected is Reed Hoffman. Hmm. Reed Hoffman, I think, is an example of someone who is not only a brilliant person and a brilliant entrepreneur, very successful in business, but he's very well known to be humane humane, he's, he's a nice guy and he's, um, you know, so he, he sort of does it all, which in this environment where I think it's, it's still kind of, um, at least in, in some places, it's kind of a broke culture or it's, uh, you know, super aggressive culture. Um, mm. that's, I think, uh, a little bit rare, um, that you can, you know, see that. So I, I really think Reed Hoffman is, is great. Um, as far as just in general, um, Okay, this may sound a little corny, but uh, my husband is <laughs> extremely, I, I love him. He's amazing. He's the smartest person I've ever met. So he's helped me a lot.
1: Awesome. Uh, favorite podcast? Well, I guess I know what you're going to say now. Masters of Scale, right?
0: <laughs> no, now I'm going to say Startup Hand-Me-Down. There we go. Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I listen to NPR podcasts all the time.
1: Nice. Uh, and which one in particular? Uh, fresh air. Fresh air. Oh, I haven't heard that one. Check it out. Favorite blog.
0: Favorite bloke?
1: Blog. Blog. Sorry. It's the blog.
0: Accent. Blog. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I don't, I, I can't think off the top of my head. Uh, favorite blog. Sorry. Next
1: question. Okay. Favorite book. Hmm.
0: Um, you know, lately I've been reading um, or actually rereading because I have such a bad memory, I have to reread books sometimes. <laughs> um, we, I just, I, um, one of the recent industry books that I've read is Powerful by Patty McCord, okay. um, the head of HR from Netflix. That was really great. Uh, but in general, I love uh, biographies and our memoirs. Um, one memoir that I could think of off the top of my head is Running With Scissors, Augustine Burroughs.
1: I mm, haven't heard of it. I'll, ch- I'll check that out too. Um, a favorite Instagram account.
0: Favorite Instagram account. Um, I, hmm. you know, I try to keep my Instagram, the, the, fo- uh, the accounts that I follow to a minimum. Um, I actually, so maybe this is a little, maybe controversial considering the space I'm in, but I deleted my Facebook account. What? Um, yeah, <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I did that. I, I had lots of people that I was following and followed me, but I in, anyway, I won't go into why, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I did uh, recently get more into uh, Instagram, but I purposefully kept the my circle of people very limited right um so in terms of my favorite instagram account even though i just follow the space and what's going on in general and what's trending in my personal account my favorite account is my daughter's account my son actually denied my friend request
1: (laughs) (laughs) ouch harsh yeah okay so your daughter's okay that's cool um she's
0: very talented and i i learn a lot about um just social media best practices from her
1: oh that's cool very talented uh, maybe she gave her an internship. Um, yeah. What What's one thing you wish you could do that you can't do?
0: Fly. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> yeah, I wish I wish I had some superhero power. That's that's what I wish. That would be really fun.
1: A flying one.
0: I think I've just, um, you know, maybe it's the influence of the Marvel universe, I don't know, but I'm really into uh, sci-fi fantasy and it would be so great to have some kind of super power.
1: Nice, I agree. Um, What's one piece of advice you would give to your 21-year-old self?
0: Don't run away.
1: Ah, so she was speaking from experience before.
0: Yes, yes, Okay,
1: makes sense now. Um, If you had $100 in your favorite city, what would you spend it on? And where is your favorite city?
0: Um, Recently, my favorite city is, I would say either Tokyo or Helsinki. Um, And I think that the best use of money is experience and within that maybe food. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> so we spend it on food.
1: Nice. Uh, what's the one thing that startups should ignore in the early days? <clears throat> um,
0: I think what, what makes a really great entrepreneur is a uh, someone who can and listen to because listen to all the things that you should do and what you shouldn't do and figure out kind of what is what is really the right thing to do within that, that environment? Because you constantly have people saying, I would say mostly don't, you know, the, the don't do people. There's a lot of that. Yeah. So um, it's don't listen to the don't do people.
1: Awesome, and finally, um, with, I know you, you know, with Pixar, you're now the COO of PixArt, um, and they just released some you know, incredible news about the new labs that you guys are opening in, in Moscow. So what's your mm-hmm. vision for the company? As you know, the new CEO there. Um,
0: I think, as I mentioned before, I really do believe that the, the future origin everything about communication is is really visual. So I think that there's huge opportunity with a company like Pixar. So it really depends right now on what are the directions that we choose to go because, as in any company with limited resources, both people, revenue, etc., are at least you don't. You want to be smart about it. Uh, you have to pick your battles, um, and uh, because I do think that Pixar has so much more potential than even the hundred million plus users that we have now, um, what are those battles that we're going to choose? And so we're actually in the process right now of of um, making those decisions for our next phase of growth.
1: Awesome. And do you, what, what what does the next phase of growth look like? I mean, you guys have raised. Quite a lot of money, uh, forty-five million. The last time I checked, um, mm-hmm. what does that look like going forward?
0: I think that the next phase of growth, um, is purposeful. It's it's growing in the regions and among the audiences that are going to be most impactful. It is proving our revenue model, uh, subscription. We just recently launched, and that's growing. the The growth rate on on subscription side is. Um, looking really positive. It's how do we exponentially grow from here in a intentional kind of manner? Um, so it's, um, you know, how, how do we not stop at 100 million and how do we go to, you know, 200 million or 300 million um, and develop a product that is going to be uh, lasting and purposeful and um, bring more, I guess, Peace and levity to the world that right now is kind of struggling. I just read recently a stock market headline that said stock market going, you know, the Dow Jones um, plummeting because everyone is afraid of something, which I thought <laughs> that was a really great headline because it sort of encapsulates what's going on right now in the world and people, there's a lot of fear and, and unknown and negativity. And the great thing about Pixar is that it's, it's about exactly the opposite.
1: No, that's, that's awesome. Tammy, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Um, if people want to find you, if you want to be found, uh, where can they reach you?
0: Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. (laughs) (laughs) I I've been in working in the social media space for a really long time and I tried to keep a low social media profile because (laughs) even though I'm watching that space i I really think that there's a lot of noise out there there are a lot of uh, better people out there than than me to pontificate on all sorts of subjects so i would say probably linkedin um is the best place to find me
1: okay cool awesome thank you so much for coming on the show thanks so much want to say another huge thank you to Tammy and the Pixar team for making this happen I don't know about you guys but I learned so much from Tammy just now there was just so many levels to so many things that she said I mean each point that she made could have been a whole nother topic within itself Um, but the main thing that I took away from all of that was telling the story of your brand and crafting that story is one of the most important things you could ever do for your company if you want it to succeed as always guys thank you so much for tuning in if you haven't already please subscribe and leave a review while you're at it they honestly do go a long way also why not share your favorite episode with one of your friends or on social media until next time guys keep grinding